Okay, so continuing with this exploration of dana or generosity. So last week I explored it from this lens of generosity and how it kind of creates and reinforces that sense of self or has the effect of kind of thinning or quieting that sense of self. So that lens, that sense of looking at it, is a little bit of a more subtle way of practicing. Usually when we're practicing meditation, we're learning how to connect with our breath, connect with the sensations of our body, let go of this mind that just wants to keep thinking, learning how to navigate the hindrances, trying to stay, keep ourselves awake and not get too restless. A lot of our energy is usually focused on that. And meditation also has this really profound way it starts to change this locus of self, this locus of who I am, of where I'm coming from, where I'm established. So to be mindful of that, to be aware of that, is asking us to step back just a little bit, to step back and actually notice the sense of me, the sense of I, that assumption of I. Now this is something that's usually going on in the background, it's just kind of an automatic way that we relate. Like let's say I'm relating to my breath. I could be noticing breathing in, breathing out. Oh, I got distracted, come back to my breath. Or I can start to relate to the breath just as awareness itself. A sense of stillness is just noticing the breath arising and falling. And that sense of me is becoming much more quiet, much more subtle. And that's what I'm talking about with that thinning of that sense of self versus that thickening of that sense of self. For example, you might be meditating and you find that you get lost in thought. You say, oh, darn it, I got lost again. And I'm always getting lost. I'm such a failure at meditating. All of that thought stream is thickening that sense of self, is reinforcing it, making it stronger. Right? So generosity can be a really interesting place to notice those choices in our lives to be generous or not to be generous, to actually offer something, to create space for another, to give, or to choose to turn away, to ignore or pretend I don't see, or be I want mine first kind of attitude. Right? All of those choice points come up, even if we're paying attention, in a greater relief. They become more clear in that, that choice to be generous or not to be generous. And generosity is also interesting because we can do something that outwardly seems generous. That seems like, oh, I can observe someone giving something to someone, and oh, they're being very generous with their gift, with their time, with their energy. Or perhaps if we could look under the hood or look inside their minds, we realize they're acting from a place of obligation or maybe a place of guilt, like I should be generous, a sense of duty. Maybe there's a sense of self-neglect as we're doing that. Maybe there's a kind of nurture this self-image of being a generous person. I want everyone to see how I'm generous. Sometimes we might be generous in a way that we want something in return. If I give you something, maybe you're giving me what I really want. And so all these kind of shadings or nuances of generosity start to be highlighted when we look at it from this lens of how does the self thicken or how does that self start to quiet and loosen 
and soften. On the other side of it, when we are generous from that place of thinning the self, there's like no strings attached to my act of generosity. I don't really care if anyone notices I'm being generous or not. There's a sense of maybe open-heartedness, of connection, of interrelationship that flows from that action. And if you step back and notice that sense of self, the sense of me, it's less established. It's less strong. It's less defined. Right? So this, this lens of thickening the sense of self or thinning the sense of self is one way to frame really all of Dharma. Even the very basic techniques of learning to notice the breath without trying to change it, without trying to alter it, the sense of friendly attention, all those cues, all those instructions are really saying, don't lead with your sense of self. Because the sense of self likes to judge, it likes to evaluate, it likes to compare. That was a good breath. No, that wasn't so good. Last sitting, that was a good sitting. This one's a bad sitting. Okay, those are all thoughts that are really reinforcing that sense of self. Now we practice, we quickly realize that most acts of generosity have a certain mixture. Some of it's coming from a more clear place, a clean place, and other aspects of it may be more, you know, having these other aspects going on. So as you start to bring your attention to it, let's dive into that a little bit more. When I find myself practicing this way, you can often ask some little questions when you find yourself being generous in a way that actually reinforces that sense of self that has this kind of mixed quality. You often notice this because it just doesn't feel as good, right? It feels a little sticky, a little bit like, okay, I'm doing this because I'm supposed to. My parents always told me to do it, so I'm doing it now as an adult. So I'm almost asking, where is the stickiness? Where is the stuck spot? You know, for those of you who might do things with your hands, whether it's weaving or carpentry or anything like that, you sometimes notice there's a place where things are, are kind of stuck. They're not gliding or sm- going smoothly upon each other. Right? That sticky point, often think of it as that's a sense of self kind of being engaged. There's a way the sense of clinging is happening, that identification is happening. It's kind of getting stuck in that. Right? So if we can notice that without judging it, without saying, oh, there's a problem here that I have to overcome. Instead, if we have a quality of curiosity, okay, what is this like? Isn't that interesting? It's a little sticky here. Because if we lead with our judgment, our evaluation, our comparison, guess what? We've just created this, this sense of self is jumping right in there with its favorite task of trying to get rid of itself. Right? So this is like the, the dog trying to catch its own tail. Faster it goes, the further away it goes. Faster the tail goes. Well, my analogy I, I like to make is like if you made a hole in a wall with a hammer and I wanted to get rid of that hole, but I only had the tool of the hammer, I'm going to just make the hole bigger. So I, the more, more I hit on that hole, the bigger the hole gets. 
Right? So it's the sense of self, when it's, once it's engaged and leading, everything it does tends to serve reinforcing it, reestablishing it, creating it. So this may, I can tell by, I'm guessing by some of your expressions there, you're not quite sure what I'm talking about, perhaps. But this is an essential piece for us to start to notice in our practice. You know, where is that sense of self? What is that sense of me? How established is that? Because the Buddha very clearly said that sense of you, when it's believed in, without any sense of perspective, when it's believed in as an absolute, you're going to have suffering. That's going to create suffering for you. When that sense of self is starting to fall away, when it's seen through, that suffering falls away. And practice is really designed for us to start to notice that. To actually, it works on us without us often even knowing it. So we're just kind of highlighting that through this edge of generosity, this practice of generosity. So when you find that that sticky part is happening, you might just ask yourself, okay, what am I believing? What's the assumptions which are going on beyond, behind the, the curtain? That's going to pull up those things like obligation, uh, duty, I should do this, I need to do this, or if I do this, maybe they'll be nice to me back, maybe they'll forgive me for my, my wrongdoing, the way I, I hurt them. So again, if I can start to notice all those kind of beliefs which are happening underneath the surface, then you can see how that sense of me, that sense of self, is really kind of established and thickened by this act of generosity. Sometimes it's coming of a place of, of pain because it's coming out of self-lack, uh, self-deficiency. There's something wrong with me or I'm not up to being full on a human, as a human being or this, this meanness. So I'm trying to compensate by being generous. So I think it's as we do this kind of investigation, this turning our attention in a directed way, bring compassion along with that. Bring a tender, kind heart along with that seeing. See that with, with tenderness, because it's, it's like it's much, we see with something with tenderness and compassion, something of it starts to relax. Like the beginning of the meditation. I think so often we just kind of launch into meditation and we're struggling because our minds are busy, our bodies are stressed, or we're tired, And we think we should be something other than we are. We don't take into account the momentum of our life. And just that simple acknowledgement, like, well, it's been a rough day. There's been a lot going on. Or maybe the day's been easy and peaceful. Notice how that creates a momentum. This is that stepping back, because usually our minds like to make a conclusion about that. It's been a rough day, therefore... You know, I should be this way. Or like, I, I should be over that. I should be through with that. But we can step back and notice all this mechanism that's actually coming into more of a true quality of mindfulness. This quality of actually sensing whatever's here without that bias, without that judgment, actual clear perception. And if that's a kind quality of perception, it starts to unwind things. It starts to loosen those knots. 
So in generosity, when we're, it seems a little bit mixed as we're practicing, as we're offering something or giving something or choosing to give something or receiving it. We can look at it from that side. Just kind of look back and notice, okay, what's all that's going on here? doesn't mean you shouldn't still be generous. I think we can still learn a lot. Like we talked about last week, sometimes we might be in the middle of giving something in a generous way. And we feel like, oh, there's this thin mixed quality to it. I'm doing it out of obligation. I should be doing this. A sense of responsibility. So you can just notice that and still still act. Right? And you can also, that starts to change it to perhaps it becomes, there's a letting go, a releasing, a falling away into that, that quiet of self. I think it's also helpful to start to reframe our actions. Because I think sometimes as maybe spiritually inclined people, we think we should be generous. That's part of that self-image, right? So we are giving and giving and giving, but maybe we're actually more just being responsible. We're just stepping up to what we should be doing. It might be helpful not to try to overlay generosity over those states, like I should be doing my job as a parent or as a caregiver in a generous way, just maybe that's just what your job is. And you're kind of stepping up and falling through on that. Because I think sometimes we struggle, like, oh, I I should be feeling open-hearted and loving and just giving, giving, even though I've been working 60-hour weeks and I'm exhausted. You say, okay, maybe I'm I'm just stepping up and falling through on my obligation. On the other hand of it, so this is looking at how that self contracts and gets more established. Again, noticing it not with trying to change that, but just notice that mechanism. You start to notice that mechanism, you realize, oh, maybe that mechanism becomes less and less required. It becomes more optional. Just as importantly, notice when you are acting in a generous way, when it has less strings attached, when it is not an agenda, it's more of a pure quality. Sometimes this happens spontaneously. We just find ourselves offering something. And there's that moment of connection. We feel like, okay, I've connected with this other human being. Notice there, too, how they, you feel less established, you're less like you, and yet you also feel more connected. You also feel more part of, of the whole, at least part of this little part of humanity. Right? This is also the other side of it, is that as that self thins and starts to fall away, we fall into this place of interconnection, of unity. There's a sense of, of as I give to someone else, it's almost like I'm giving to myself. As someone gives to me, it's like they're giving back to themselves. So the distinction between self and others starts to, to fade starts to quiet, starts to fall away. I'll just end with this story before we talk about the homework and the discussion. It's a famous story about 
Roikan, the Zen master, is the moon cannot be stolen. And this story is about this, from his perspective, he's coming from that really thin sense of self, or the sense of self has fallen away. And there's this, even though his own um, possessions, his own environment is meager, there's still this place of generosity, of caring, and this, this connection with the beauty of nature and wanting to share that. So, Rokan, a Zen master, lived in the simplest kind of life, in a little hut at the foot of a mountain. One evening, a, th- a thief visiting the hut only to discover there was nothing in it to steal. Roy Khan returned and caught him. You may have come a long way to visit me, he told the prowler, and you should not return empty-handed. Please take my clothes as a gift. The thief was bewildered. He took the clothes and slunk away. Roycon sat naked, watching the moon. Poor fellow, he mused. I wish I could give him this beautiful moon. I wish I could give him this beautiful moon. So you look at the moon, the almost full moon that there's out tonight. You know, and that, the speechless beauty that comes from seeing that. The abundance that's beyond anyone's, one person's possession. This is the heart of generosity. So practicing generosity and just paying attention, stepping back and noticing, how is that sense of self forming, being reestablished? How is it starting to fall away? All right, let's just sit quietly for a moment or two, letting those words settle. Okay, thank you for your attention. So we'll take a five-minute break, and you're welcome to use the restroom or stretch your legs. Uh, back by the Donna baskets here, there's, I don't know if there's any more homework, probably not. They're out there, so there's some homework from last week. Uh, there's the two Donna baskets. One represents Sim's you know, capacity to continue to offer these kind of evenings. So you're welcome to please make a donation there. And also there's another basket for myself, for my livelihood as a teacher. And we can put information on the chat. We'll come back at 8.06, and basically have some small groups to talk about generosity, talk about what we've noticed around that thickening and thinning of self. All right, I'll see you back here in five minutes. Okay, welcome back. So in a moment, we'll break up into groups of four to five people, both here in the room and also online. And the discussion prompt is around this this concept or this, really this perception of that sense of me. Does it become thicker or thinner in different ways I act generously? So hopefully you had a chance to practice that, just to notice when you're being generous, you're just kind of stepping back and noticing how that's happening. If you haven't practiced it, you can do that in the middle of the group. Like maybe you want to speak first, so you pause and you feel that sense of letting someone else go instead of you. That's a moment of generosity. Maybe it's mixed with all kinds of things, like, oh, I'm embarrassed, or this or that. 
But just notice how that turmoil, that inner thinking kind of makes you more established. Other times when you just gracefully give, you let go, how that has that thinning quality. So the invitation is to practice, you know, just to converse around that, to, to articulate the times you've noticed that thickening, times you notice that thinning. If you can, try to be concrete about it. And these groups are, again, not about trying to solve anyone else's problems or trying to give advice. It's much more about you listening deeply and the other person having a chance to share. Right? Does that make sense? All right. So why don't you go in and find uh, groups of four to five is a nice amount. And online, we'll put you in groups also. Okay. Welcome back. So some space for any questions or sharing you like to do in the larger group. And you all can come up and grab the mic if you're here in the room so they can hear you online. And then online you can just raise your, your virtual hand so we can all hear you. Any generous people out there? <laughs> Come on up, thank you. Hi, my name is Kara. Um, I'll just share a small thing um, that I shared in our group, but um, one thing I notice when practicing, well, when reflecting on generosity, looking back on this week, I can think of conversations that I've had with people. And oftentimes I'm thinking of something that I'm going to say next during the conversation, just totally trying to plan out what to say next. That's just how I, just how it always happens. Um, and sometimes without even trying, I just forget what I'm going to say when that time comes when I'm supposed to share or when I'm planning to share next. And I just don't have it anymore. It's just gone. And so then there's this space where this person has finished talking and I don't have anything. <laughs> and there can be a range of emotions depending on who I'm talking to. It could just be, it's fine and we'll just wait for the next thing to be said. Um, or it could be awkwardness or um, trying to think of something. Um, but I think in the future, when those moments come, like those can be um, moments where I maybe notice, like this is a practice where I can notice like the thinning of the self when I'm, I don't have that next mm -hmm. thing that I'm going to say. Um, and there's just space mm -hmm. and to just be with that space. Um, and perhaps even feel more courageous to just listen without a plan for what to say next more often with, with people. Um, and I think that can be, um, yeah, it's, it's generous. It's generous to, 
to choose to listen and, and not um, fuel the, the ego wanting to have something impressive to say next or, or whatever. Um, so, yeah, that's what I got. Great. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, that quality of kind of reflecting <clears throat> on something like just like the past week or a habit pattern of how we have conversations and realizing, oh, there's maybe I can bring more practice to that or more interest or more curiosity around that or maybe some kind of theme like that thinning of self and generosity. That's I think that's a powerful way to integrate our practice in our lives because sometimes we think we have to be like perfect right from the get-go. But sometimes you can realize, oh, I didn't quite do that as well as I think I could. Or maybe felt a little bit off. Or maybe yeah, maybe that pattern I want to examine a little bit. Because so often we are talking and we're really kind of having our own, we're kind of, okay, I'm going to wait my turn and then I'm going to put my thing in there. And then then I'll, I'll wait. And then, you know, But instead of like really listening to the person and just trusting that connection. You know, sometimes that can really change the way that the whole conversation goes. And I love that, framing it as generosity and framing it as that thinning of self. Because, you know, that's that's how often do we kind of feel those points of silence? Because we're awkward, we don't like that silence. We want something to be said and just to be willing to you know, just be quiet for a little bit and and see what arises. That There's a... Um, a system of practice called Insight Dialogue that we've had a, a teacher come the last couple of years, but there's one of the, the tenets, at least it used to be, was trust emergence. And so the idea is that you, you're just silent and you trust that things will arise. That's actually fitting being here in a, in the friend's place, in the Quakers, because that's part of their practice, is just being still and this voice moves you, then you speak. Yeah, so thank you for sharing that. What else is out there? Yes, come on up, Deborah. And then Judith will get to you in a second. Yeah, we, I, our, I hope I'm speaking for our group because we've, we've had quite a bit of discussion without coming to any conclusions about or what to do about it, of acts of spo- the spontaneous generosity. Just the, you know, something comes up and you give and it feels, it's spontaneous, it feels good. It does, it's not done to build you up. It's just, mm-hmm. you know, that that's the thinning. But then the, the where, uh, then the, where the, the generous act repeats, becomes repetitive, and becomes obligatory, and then mm-hmm. sometimes becomes burdensome and annoying. And it's like the generosity, what started as generosity bites back and becomes something else. Mm-hmm. And we were struggling, I think all we were sort of struggling with, what, what do we do about that? Because then, then that's, that, that's, that becomes constricting, and it has the, you know, the same action seems to have the opposite effect on the giver. That's right. Yeah, that's a great um, observation. I think a lot of us, including myself, can relate to that, that we we do something spontaneously and then there's this expectation or this obligation that gets set up and it really gets changed. And it can be both, you know, from your side and also the person that you maybe gave a gift to or the offering to. 
and how do you kind of break out of that? How do you meet that? And you know, there's there's different ways, right? I mean, sometimes you can just be honest and say, you know, I I don't have the money right now, or I don't have the resources, or just connect in a different way. But again, it's it's like noticing that that's part of this this interesting terrain that we we go through. Another way to play with it is just to reconnect with that initial generosity, that initial act of spontaneity, and see if we can kind of kind of refresh that or re- allow that to arise, or maybe do it in a different way. Like maybe say, you know, I I don't know, depending on the situation, right? Depends on maybe like. Um, <clears throat> One example we can relate to is someone who's selling real change. We see the same vendor and we, you know, always pick up the paper from them. And then one day we don't feel like it, but we feel like we should. And they kind of look to us like we should do it. And then it's okay, so what do I do? Do I go out on a different exit or do I pretend like I'm really engrossed in my phone and don't see the person? <laughs> or do I just say, you know, I. I appreciate what you're doing, and and I'll catch you next time. You know, so play, you know, play with them. I think we can often find that kind of where the edge is. Like, okay, this is what we definitely want to do if we had no constraints. This is what we feel, feel like we should do, and then somewhere in between, there's a way to kind of navigate that. And sometimes it's a little bit more edgy. Like we're not used to having people tell us that we're they're not going to be generous in this moment. But it's honest. I think that honesty sometimes goes a long ways. So I appreciate the, the practicing with it. All right, Judith, why don't you uh, share what you want to share? Um, yeah, well, that's actually very relevant to what I was thinking about. I realize when you're talking about how besieged I feel right now with demands on my time, and demands for money, um, constant emails, constant texts, constant this cause and that cause and this politician and that politician. And at the same time, expenses going up, right, in my life. And I just, I just realized how constricted I was beginning to feel about that and how uh, instead of saying, okay, well, maybe I'll support this one, but not that one, just saying, no, 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 you know, just leave me alone. And, and then feeling very guilty mm. about all of that. So, and, and, um, so I see that, okay, I have no idea where to go with it. And, and that's something that everybody in our group was saying, okay, I see, I see this in myself, but I don't know where to go with it. I don't know what to do about it. Anyway, I'd appreciate any feedback you have. Sure. Yeah, it kind of echoes what the last uh, Deborah talked about and with her group. Any of that? That you know, I, th- I think it's it is we we do get caught in these, you know, especially if we give a lot, that tends to invite more asking, right? More more organizations ask us and ask for that support and. Yeah, sometimes you might just say, okay, I'm going to play with it. You know, play with a way of maybe setting an arbitrary uh, break from all giving. Like, okay, um, for the next six months, I'm just not going to offer, not going to support anybody. And just say that's just, that's just the situation. You could say that I'm, um, 
means or such after you know not give as much just things things you can play with it but i think that the key piece that remember those the basic the precepts of, of truthfulness we'll go into precepts um sila next month but really owning that sense of truthfulness okay what's really true in this moment you know what's true for me and of course we have to navigate what's appropriate and how do we say that and how do we you know communicate that but really knowing what's true for yourself. I think that's always the baseline to start with. Okay, I'm feeling overwhelmed. I'm feeling like everyone wants something from me. I feel like I don't have enough to give. Just lay it out there. Notice, okay, there's the guilt that I'm laying on top of that. And there's the should. And there's the the messages that they have that seems to pull on my heartstrings and all those pieces. And just kind of, okay, what's true for Judith? What's true for Tim in this moment? You know, what's really... What a lot, and what I'm saying true, it's like, of course, there's the relativeness to it. But it's more like, it's more, maybe a better word is what's it, what's, what needs to be acknowledged that's not being acknowledged. And often when we touch upon that, at least for me, there's something that you just, I relax. It's like, oh, that's it. That's it. I'm just doing too much. I've already given too many things. I've stretched myself too thin. And just that point of, of acknowledging with, with compassion and with kindness. From that point, then you ask, okay, where let wise action emerge? Let that arise. Like the, the first comment is like in that conversation, give yourself the pause to let that wisdom present itself. And the beautiful thing about the Dharma, and as we start to kind of thin this sense of self, is we start to find ourselves being much more creative and spontaneous and we find ways that we are behaving and acting in the world which we had never thought of before that actually are very connected to ourselves you know connected to what's true and also skillful so it's it's one of those those koans is really you know it's like how do you really engage with it but start with just putting all the cards on the table let's just see what's actually here feel the pulls this way and that way and sometimes I like to say, okay, if there's one that's really pulling, see if I can somehow play with my mind that I eliminate that one. Like somehow, once if no one, if there was a rule that no one would ever know how much you gave or who gave what, how would that change how I give? And that's, that's really interesting to do it that way. And then maybe act that way. Thank you. Yeah, interesting conversations for is it tomorrow is Giving Tuesday. <laughs> I'm supposed to be going the other way with Sims, like, okay, give. <laughs> All right, you also like to share anything. Yeah, questions great. Do you mind coming up so they can hear you online? And Trish, we'll get to you in a second. And welcome. Thanks for Thank coming. So I guess um, a thought that just occurred um, since we're, the theme's kind of sacrifice and um, extending loving kindness um, and thinning the self. Um, what, if, what if we wanted to include ge- generosity for the self? Mm-hmm. Um, so for example, um, something I struggle with is um, do I neglect having or trying to be heard or um, understood or if I want 
a piece of something and it's the last piece, do I neglect that so mm -hmm. that someone else can enjoy it? Um, and is there, how do we like reach an equilibrium where we're including mm -hmm. the self and not thinning it constantly? Um, and how, how do we, um, you know, how do we create the space for that? Sure. Well, what's, what's really interesting, hang out there in case we have you know, okay. some back and forth around it. What's interesting is that thinning of self is really much more around our habit patterns. So we can have a habit that's established of, of kind of self-sacrifice. Like, oh, no, you can have the last one, even though I haven't had any, that kind of habit of mine. That habit, actually, that's what creates the th sense of self. That reinforces it. So in some ways, actually, learning to say, okay, I haven't had any. I wanted to grab that. That actually might thin yourself more than just letting someone else get it. You, you see what, that, what I mean by that? Mm -hmm. And that thinning of, of, of self, often we have to be careful that we're not using it to kind of get over the sense of self. That for many of us, including myself, I really need to also attend to that self-kindness, that self-love, that self-appreciation, that sense of, of self-generosity. And for, for many of us, that's actually where we need to, to grow more. So we kind of, our hearts start to relax. So when you feel that sense of self-sacrificing, of, of kind of, I'm going to discount myself, like, okay, I'm not as worth it giving as much. I'm not worth receiving. These other people are more worthy than I am. Whenever you hear that narrative, that's a good thing to just kind of put a pause button on it and say, okay, how can I act differently from that? Now, doing that, you're going to be like, oh, I'm not used to that, right? I'm used to doing it this other, other way. But that unknown terrain is kind of outside that normal sense of self. So we say the sense of self, it's not like we become this kind of amorphous, nothing is here. We actually become much more responsive. It's, this is kind of why this example comes up. I don't know why examples come up in the way they do in my mind. But like, let's say we were dancing, right? And I just know how to waltz. And I made us waltz no matter what the music was. Okay, that's my sense of self. I'm a waltzer. Everyone has to waltz. But if I if that sense of self loosens up, then it's like, oh, it's foxtrot time. Okay, it's I'm losing my dances, but you know, all the other <laughs> I can do a swing, East Coast, West Coast swing. I can I can switch really spontaneously and easily based on the circumstances. And so it's kind of that that ability to just to blend with what's here. And at the same time, being really integritous, really knowing yourself, knowing what's appropriate. You have these kind of guidelines of ethics and self-care, which, which really help. And so the sense of self actually can be really loosened by learning how to be caring for yourself. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for that question. Okay, Trish, come on, go on and share what you want to share. Um, so kind of at the end of our session, we were um, talking about the interplay between like the thickening and the thinning of the sense of self. Mm -hmm. And then what you said earlier about thinking from the sense of self. And we we're talking about the example of like noticing like you're hungry, right? And maybe like that's getting in the way and that's causing thickening of the self and such that you're going to go give yourself some food, right? Versus the idea that noticing that you're hungry and that's causing you to like think from your sense of self and just kind of like noticing it and just setting it aside. Like, Oh, I'm just hungry, you know? 
Mm-hmm. Just kind of talking about like the interplay of those two kind of different approaches, but we didn't really, I don't know if we knew where to go from there or kind of were able to finish it. So I was just kind of wanting to hear what you have to say about that. Now, can you uh, give me the example of the thickening part again? Well, so like you're like maybe you're trying to meditate and you're saying, oh, I can't meditate. I'm hungry, you know, and kind of almost mm-hmm. like blame it on being hungry. And, you know, from one part, you could be kind of generous with yourself, you know, um, and say, oh, I should give myself something to eat. And then the other approach might be kind of like, oh, I'm thinking from the self, like all about me, that I'm hungry. Like, I can just notice that's a thought and set that aside. Mm. So I guess it's kind of like those two kind of different ways. And maybe they're not exclusionary, but, you know, different. Like I was thinking about my son and. And he's like, oh, when I get hungry, I just get a glass of water and then it goes away, right? Because he's like, doesn't want to take time to make a meal and stuff like that, you know? So I don't know. I just kind of thinking about, you know, putting aside the sense of self versus being generous to the sense of self. kind of. Yes. And I think it's, we also have to kind of um, tease apart what's really taking care of our bodies. You know, what's you know, really serving our bodies. When are we neglecting our bodies? all those kind of pieces there because the sense of, of self is not, you know, is not tied to that, the body. I mean, it, we identify with the body, but it's, it's kind of outside of that too. It's kind of, they, they really mix back and forth. So a lot of it is around. To use that user example, the meditator who's hungry and, okay, should I get up and eat and take care of my body versus that, um, okay, I'm just going to notice the hunger and keep meditating. Which one of those is forming that sense of self? Which one isn't? You know, it's hard to say just from that example, right? Because I could be forming the sense of self very easily in both of those. It's like, you know, I'm going to maybe not be the person who's hungry and getting getting food, but I'm going to be the, per- the sense of self meditator who is white knuckling it through being hungry. Right? I could do do that. So it's it's a lot of it has to do with how um, how defined you feel, how that sense of of you, how solid that is, and I often think of it as. The sense of self, it's, it's actually a very subtle phenomenon. It's a very subtle kind of background, almost operating system that we, we don't really sense very easily unless we get really quiet inside. And we can notice the actions of it more clearly. So the actions of, of wanting, of not wanting, of self-defining, of, of bias, of comparison, judgment, all of those are kind of the footsteps of this almost invisible animal we call the sense of self. You kind of notice that. It can also sense internally just the quality of perception. So when, I, when I'm really kind of focused from a sense of self's perspective, I tend to see self and other. There's a distance. There's a separation that's more prevalent, more palpable. When that sense of self is much more thin, there's a way of being much more, um, the boundaries between self and other fall away. The sense of, of, of interconnection. 
And then how that mixes in with self-care, like do I, you know, do I need to eat? You know, have I been working all day and, and haven't had a chance to eat? You know, maybe it's better to eat. You know, maybe it's better to, to care for myself. I, for me, that comes up. The hunger part doesn't come up so much, but the um, sleepiness comes up a lot. You know, sometimes I have to meditate late at night, and I'm like, falling asleep is like, maybe it's better just to go to sleep. You know, maybe it's better to to keep practicing. And you know, it's hard to say which you know which is better in in that moment. But just I guess what I'm trying to point to is 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 notice times when you just feel less defined. It's usually when you're going to not have a lot of opinions about something. You're not really trying to change anything. You're just kind of abiding in this moment. There's a sense of, of kind of ease, a quiet, um, a peace. Right? And just notice how that you're not so solid in that moment. The sense of you is not so solid. So kind of going with the flow and what just feels kind of like the natural versus like, I'm not going to eat because I'm just going to notice the hunger and, you know, be with it or like, oh, I'm going to go eat because I must be hungry and I need the energy to meditate. So kind of just more, instead of kind of almost more analyzing, just kind of be in the moment and flow with it. Is that what you're saying? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Just the, the sense of hunger just being known without having a lot of narrative. The narrative is one of those big footprints of that sense of self when you're kind of talking yourself around it. You know, and, and also there's a whole side of discipline and wise effort and all those pieces. So it's, it's like we can't just look at it from one narrow perspective. We also have to look at maybe I'm practicing. Like if you ever take the eight precepts, if you go on a retreat, that's when you don't eat after the, the noon meal. I did that um, for the first time on a month-long retreat. And at first I was like, okay, I don't know if I can do this. But I realized well, I was never really hungry before that, so the food was so good. So I just said, okay, I'm going to practice it. I gave myself the out that I could go back and, and take care of myself if I needed to. But it was interesting to see how that expectation was a point of inquiry, of interest. Okay, what's this going to be like? What is it like not to take the time to go eat and just to keep practicing? You know, so it's, it's uh, just something that we start to, to learn about and explore more and more. And at some point, your, your sense of self will, will fall away. It will, it will abate, it will be, it will be gone. You'll be like, where is that thing? It's not here right now. And then you say, okay, that's, that redefines this whole discussion. It redefines how we relate to this whole thinning of self. Thank you very much. Okay, thank you, to Trish. All right, we have time for maybe one more, if there's anyone out there in the room or in the Zoom room.